Hi, everyone. This is Steve Shore from the Real Truth About Health Conference with our June webinar with Brian Clement. Uh, hi, Brian. Hi. How's everyone out there? Okay, very good. Um, Brian, do you want to um, just maybe give us an update on anything new over the last month that's been going on or anything on your mind in the news or at Hippocrates, anything? And then after that, maybe you could um, start with your um, give us a, a, a lecture on um, whatever topic you're ready to speak about today, and then after you're done, um, I'll ask some questions, and then we'll take questions from everyone else. So why don't you take it from here? And you, you, you said you and Anna Marie went just got back from an 11-country tour of the world? Yes. yes so we were in okay, Ireland, so go ahead. we were in England, we were in Canada, we were in Sweden, we were in Finland, we were in Norway, we were in Germany. We were in Holland, we were in France, and uh, we got to see thousands of people, uh, many of the people for the first time, and then others who are alumni, and it was great to see people all over the world who have taken back their lives and their health and become totally responsible uh, for their own healing. And so the, the mission is moving forward as we speak. And uh, there's been, as you pointed out, some things in the news in the last month that can be very distressing. So the top biologists uh, and historians, anthropological biologists, uh, less than a month ago announced that we have more species uh, extinction today going on than we ever had in the history of the world. So at this moment, there are more species dying at a higher rate and ever in the entire history of the planet Earth. And so that was pretty distressing. Uh, also, as we traveled into more civil parts of the world, uh, many countries are now banning uh, diesel cars and gasoline cars and have viable, uh, realistic plans where certain cities will have nothing but electric cars that come in. And it looks like that's a move and a trend. Uh, we also have been told that in the next 10 years, there'll be about uh, 100 million electric cars on the road. And so we're slowly but surely moving towards that. And all we have to do is to generate the electric is to get more technologies that are sustainable technologies in. And some of the most promising ones aren't the most popular ones. Uh, slight movement of water, for instance, harbors more electric than does solar and then does wind at this point. Although solar is becoming uh, less, far less expensive by 90% in the last five years, less expensive and better, much better. So smaller panels, more efficiency and a significantly lower cost. And uh, the Chinese have pioneered something I think is highly intelligent intelligent where they're actually putting solar panels down as roads. So we're going to have roads and there's a necessity for roads. And so rather than take our landscape and our homes and maim them with you know solar panels, uh, we're now going to be in the future, if, if we allow that lead to be taken, uh, to lay roads and that be part and parcel of laying a road. So I'm very optimistic. You know, it's it's very frightening because 
you almost feel like you're schizophrenic. All this horribly bad news, but brought with good news. And one of the things I can assure you, if you're listening around the world, that you're not alone, that there are millions of people that are moving into this type of a lifestyle that understand the, the importance of being environmentally conscious and health-minded so that not only do we heal our own bodies and that of our families and, and, and friends, but also of the earth itself. Okay. So tonight, uh, the subject I chose is fats and oils, and uh, there's a whole lot of misinformation and uh, bad information out there. So let's try to get this uh, as clear and as as forthright as we possibly can. So nobody knew what an essential fat was until 1929. And a couple of biochemists, Baron Burr, a husband and wife, discovered first, which is what we, what we today call omega-6. So we didn't know anything until 1929 and omega-6, and there was a lot of confusion as to what it was. And uh, this, of course, was discovered in plants. It wasn't until 1981 they started to differentiate a, a, a second form of fat. It was a very, very slow movement forward, though, uh, which was eventually identified as omega-3 which turns out to be uh, the most important of the two key essential fats, ALA and then LA, lenic, lenolenic acid and A, lenolenic acid. And between 1981 and, and 1998, which was a long span, it was uh, practically 20 years, they discovered the, the significance of omega-3. Now, you may hear about omega-9, you may hear about omega-12, you may hear about omega-5, which they discovered in macadamia nuts. So at this point, if we take the historic view, how long it really took for us to establish for almost 20 years, and, and we're still learning, by the way, uh, of omega-3, we're going to leave out of the conversation anything but omega-6 and omega-3. Now, what we've established uh, between 1929 and now is that the ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 should be one part omega-6, if you put one drop of omega-6, and three parts of omega-3. Now, these were scientific endeavors that pretty much struggled with the importance of these in the human diet. Who really put omega oils in modern times on the map is a fellow called Udo. And he created a product called Udo's Oil, so some of you may remember him. He was very sick, uh, had a, a great educational background, but couldn't find himself working in science, although he had a master's degree. Ended up, because he had a, a burgeoning family with a lot of children, working in the pesticide industry and contaminated his body. When he went to doctor after doctor, they didn't know what to say, they didn't know what to do, and they had no help for him. 
So he went on a quest to see what could help him eliminate all these toxic poisons out of his body. And he landed upon oils being significant. Now, why are oils doing that? Well, if we go back to the Ayurvedic tradition, which dates back a minimum of 5,000 years, they were using oils without understanding the scientific uh, benefit of them to drain and pull poisons and toxins out of the system. You may have remembered or heard the term or even used uh, what we call oil pulling. And some of the things they have used historically uh, going back thousands of years ago are sesame oil and then a wide variety of others. So Udo Rasmussen literally figured out that nobody knew what oils were and that the information that happened to be out there on oils uh, was sort of bad. So he loaded up his, his van with another guy and drove all over North America. He was residing at that point in Vancouver and went into health store after health store. I guess it was endless, numerous amounts of health store and educated. It was purely an education. It was sort of a, a, a mini lecture tour. We went and, and lectured to the, the owners of health stores. Pretty much put oils on the map. So most likely why we're having this conversation tonight, in great part, weren't the great scientists like Baron Burr, the husband and wife, and, and all of the people that contributed to Omega-3, but it was pretty much Udo Rasmussen that put this on the map. If you're in Europe, as an example, uh, and I mention Omega oils, they say to me, Udo's oil. It's almost like the Kleenex. You know, we don't say tissue, we say Kleenex. They say Udo's oil. So Udo has been single-handedly, as a matter of fact, if you have our current magazine or look at that on, uh, on the Hippocrates website, the Healing Our Worlds magazine, which is issue, let me try to remember what issue that is. Well, it's issue 39, uh, number two. So it's volume 39, issue two. Uh, we had interviewed. Udo, Anna Maria interviewed on that. Now, some things that are recent findings that are quite remarkable. If you heard me lecture uh, three years ago, I would have told you something. I haven't changed, but we added a caveat to this. We said, you know, diabetics mostly are overweight and they eat a lot of animal fats. So diabetes, although it's called a sugar disease, sugar diabetes, is propelled and often created by the consumption of animal-based foods. Now, the practical reason that happens is one of the important fuels for the human cell is glucose. And if the cell has animal fat, saturated animal fat surrounding that, literally the glucose cannot go in and get burned up. So it remains in the bloodstream. Now, that part is factual. And by the way, even people who eat little to no animal-based foods, if they are, like I used to be, a rampant sugar consumer, their own animal-like bodies create cholesterols and saturated fats that would take a, an extraordinary amount to give yourself diabetes. But I have even met people who ate, quote, better diets who ended up diabetic.
The new caveat to this whole thing surprised us because the research now shows there's a secondary problem, that animal fat and protein, when it goes into the liver and there's too much for the gallbladder and liver to process, turns into sugar. So this is a double whammy, a triple whammy. Let's review all of it. So the animal fat often in 85% of the cases is the main contributor to why people get diabetic conditions. That's why most people get, get these problems who are overweight, eat junk food, and lots of animal-based fats. Now that's all kinds of fats. We're talking about eggs, we're talking about milk, we're talking about cheese, we're talking about milk, we're talking about yogurt, we're talking about kefir, we're talking about fish, we're talking about pork and chicken and turkey and you know red meat and wild poultry, wild game. There's nothing that's not on that list. The second problem is, I never just ate lots of meat and animal-based food. I also ate lots of sugar. So I was eating the classic sugar, which were processed sugar, and that could be everything from white sugar to honey to maple syrup, one of the worst, agave syrup, uh, to sugary juices. That could be everything from a soda to an organic fruit juice to carrot juice to beet juice or to the indirect sugars, which would be white flours, brown flours, pastas, potatoes, breads, cake, donuts, etc. So the second whammy is that. So now you're putting exceptional sugar into the body that, by the way, overwhelms the bloodstream because we cannot get it into the cell because the cell is coated and covered by fatty acids, not fatty acids, saturated fats, and these are not fatty acids. Now, the third whammy is, besides the fact you're eating the donuts and the sugar, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, besides the fact that you can't burn up the glucose, now we have the animal fats and protein, when too much is in the liver, starts to literally convert over to sugar. So why are essential fats so important? We talked about what most people get is saturated fats. Because every cell in your body is propelled by energy that's in oils. Your brain works and in great part is fatty acids. Now, where are fatty acids inherently? Every plant on the planet be it sea or be it land plant, has essential fats in it. They have omega-3 or omega-6, some in higher, some in lower amounts, and yes, they may have 6, 9s, and 12s, but that's not part of the conversation tonight. Lettuce has omega oils in it. So this doesn't only have to be exotic things, uh, and we don't have to always use oil in itself. In our case at Hippocrates, where we use massive amounts of sprouts made out of seeds, nuts, grains, and beans, they are very high levels of plants uh, with omegas. So our diet is the highest omega oil diet out in the world today. The best of all for the human brain are the omega oils in the ratios and the combinations they have in sea algae, the original plant. You know, before there was land, 
the original plant were f fresh and then saltwater algae. So that's a great source of getting it. Now, one of the things that has been tested as an example at the Cooper Center in Texas is how important this is for athletes. Now, there's two groups of people that we can really see the significance of nutrients uh, on human health. Either an extreme athlete, a person who's uh, practicing and preparing to go into the Olympics, an example, or a person who's in extremely bad health. Both of these people require the same amount of mass elementation, which is really interesting. If you look at the Cooper Center work on runners and how significant omega oils are, they actually published a study more than 30 years ago where they showed that the life expectancy of gold medalists from all over the world, Olympic gold medalists, was much shorter than the average person who's never exercised, never eaten a good diet, etc., which was even shocking to Kenneth Cooper. Uh, he, he stated that. And when they looked behind it, it was a lack of nutrients, but the most important nutrient that was lacking is essential fatty acids. Now, we can gain massive energy from these healthy fats in a way that's much better than from sugar. So today you have on the, the map the ketogenic diet that has part of the story right and a big part of the story wrong. The part of the story they have right is that fats can convert to energy. That's a fact. The part of the story they have wrong are the type of fats they're telling people to eat. Because animal-based fats are not the natural occurring fats that human bodies can process and utilize. And we don't need more data on that. Uh, we have endless, endless amounts of data on how animal fats contribute to everything from diabetes to cardiovascular disease to cancer, and the list grows and goes on. So the, the part of the story that needs to be changed is yes, we can get energy, and yes, parts of our body require these fats, but we have to get them from the, the original source. So where the animal gets the fat, but unfortunately converts it over to saturated fat, is from plants. So when you see a giant steer out on a field, why they're a giant steer is not because they're eating steer, they're a plant-based creature. It's because they're eating omega oils that are in the grasses, that are in the plants that they're eating. So I don't know why and when, uh, why people are so detached from facts and, and data and, and clear information and when they're going to change, why they don't take it to the next step. People are more in science today uh, promoting product than they are doing good science. So they're literally saying it's great to have fats. Everyone agrees with this. The bad part of the story is the kind of fat. Now, even good fats in high amounts can be problematic for you. So we're not saying that you can eat endless amounts of essential fats and be perfectly fine. What I'm saying you most likely won't end up with cancer, you won't end up with diabetes, and you won't end up with heart disease, but you're gonna have other problems. So fats inherently and naturally reduce oxygen in the bloodstream. When you reduce oxygen in the bloodstream, 
even from a plant-based fat, you basically will have less responsiveness in the brain, mental clarity. You literally will not have the respiratory potential that you normally would have under healthy conditions. And you're gonna be a little bit more lethargic, a little bit slower than a person who's eating a plant-based diet with moderate you know, amounts of fats. The other thing you have to understand is that we have to personalize this. When I'm speaking, it cannot be for a 90-year-old person who's sitting in a bed uh, most of the day and comparing that to a person who basically is running for marathons. Or one of our medical team just came back from running uh, 120 miles. And she did it on our diet and uh, went out to Boulder. And amazing, she was in the Ironman competition. And, you know, just to finish that is amazing. In the last rate race in her age group, uh, 50, she came in number two. So the whole concept of how we use fats and why fats are important have to be refined based upon historic natural history, biology, and common sense and practicality. You can't be telling people, eat butter because it has fat in it. Well, it's not the kind of fat that your body likes and produces good, good health out of. The other thing I may want to say about this is if you go back to the Warburg work, uh, which you have to always go back to, he said you have to reduce oxygen by one-third before even the healthiest person among us will start to manifest cancer. Now, that has not been changed. That was 90, 95 years ago to be soon, that we literally have challenged that. Research physicians, researchers, institutions, universities have challenged that dozens and dozens of times over 90-year period and never been able to perforate uh, that, that fact, that reality. Uh, matter of fact, you know, Thomas Seifrey, who you know, Stephen, because you wisely brought him to speak of the real truth, basically reconfirmed it with three landmark uh, studies he did on that. So, you know, take all of this into account and make it a big picture, a big sign. So I'll review what I said. It was 1929, we basically discovered the first one. 1981, and then we messed around for 20 years, trying to figure out the importance of omega-3 and, and how, for instance, Crawford, uh, who's in England, equated that with DHA and, and the significance it had on brain cells. And then, second thing I said is all of this comes from plant-based food. Every drop of it comes from plant-based food. And even if you're silly enough not to listen to what we're saying and, 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 and look at the facts, uh, and you ate an animal, where do you think the animal got the fat, the saturated fat from? from converted it over from grasses, the raw green food that the cow is eating. The next thing I've said is that this is incredibly important nutrient, that they did landmark studies that showed why he had early demise from athletes who were exerting themselves probably 20, 30, 40 times more than the average person, you know, running four, three, six hours a day, whatever it may be, uh, is because of an essential fat deficiency. And when it comes to the human heart, the wrong fat gives you a heart attack and stroke. The right fat prevents heart attacks and strokes. Isn't that ironic? 
sort of an amazing thing when you think about it. Now, the other thing you have to know is that the work that was done by Dr. Steer at Harvard, the nutritional scientist at Harvard, who I happen to have the, uh, the fortune, I should say, to know, uh, they used to have him debate me quite often on TV and radio in, in Boston when we were back there. Uh, he came up with a whole scenario on fats that confused us and still sadly confused conservative academics. He came up with saturate, polyunsaturate, monounsaturate. You've all heard these terms, and I'm not going to labor over them, but look them up. And when we look back at why, he was on the payroll of the major food industries. And the major food industries started to realize that there was an appetite in the general public to say fats were bad. Now, remember this. Up until the 1960s, nobody said much at all about fats, period. We hadn't even discovered omega-3. The 1960s, it got to be fashionable for people to be really skinny, and the food industry targeted fats. And all at once, overnight, the fat phase came in. So we all could not eat a food that even said the word fat on it, and they displaced the fats, but replaced them with sugar. Now, if you look at Liskin's work out of Stanford and the University of California, uh, he portrays uh, the data and the statistics. Actually, when you look at it, it's just amazing. When that happened, we started to skyrocket into certain disorders and diseases that were either minimal or non-existent, practically non-existent before that. The other work that was done on this is the cooking. So when you take any oil, any fat, I know a lot of you out there uh, still cook a little bit, and you've been misled by people who really don't know what they're talking about and saying things like, well, if you're going to cook, coconut oil is a good one to cook. That's a saturated fat. Out of all, all plant-based foods, other than an animal food, a coconut oil is the closest to what you'd find in an animal, the palm oils. The fact of the matter is you destroy the molecular structure of the fats, making them carcinogens, cancer-causing elements, cancer-causing substances. And, you know, the fat is bad as sugar when you do that. And sh imagine what's happening. Now you're putting sugar into the foods, you're getting rid of all the fats, and even by the fact that most of those fats were bad, if they were made, for instance, out of plants, which margarines were, and margarines aren't that much healthier, if anything, than normal animal-based fats because they hydrogenate them, they blow oxygen into them to make them solid. So that makes it what? It oxidizes it and makes it a carcinogen too. But the fact of the matter is if you cut all of these fats out from mainstream people's diet, you end up with problems. And there's diseases that are not really the disease that they're telling you there are, like attention deficit disorder today. But the fact of the matter is you see a lot of young people today who have difficult times thinking because in their mother's womb and at home after they were born, they were given little to no fats in their diet. So their brain didn't have time to develop, their energy didn't have time to develop, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of things that we could talk about. I, you know, 
I've been writing on this subject and reading everything I could get my hands on for decades on it. So maybe what we'll do is open up for questions now, Stephen. And then from that point, if you have any questions on fats and oil, fine, or any other questions that we may want to ask. Okay, Brian, thank you. Um, Brian, let me, do you have a pad and paper? I'd like to ask you some follow-up questions all at once, and then if you could answer those, and then we could open the phones up. Okay, we'll do that. That'd be okay? Okay, let's, I'll try to write them down quick. <laughs> okay, Ray, so I'm going to give you a bunch of questions. <clears throat> write, write them down so that you could then answer all at once, okay? Good. So these are my questions on this, and then um, and then if you could answer after. Okay, you ready? So number one, Joel Furman has said emphatically um, on video that he is very concerned that vegans are not getting DHA and EPA and that he's very concerned. He's had patients and people that have gotten dementia and that it's very important. So number one is he's saying that they have to get DHA. I don't know about the EPA. I think I'm, I might be adding that. He's saying DHA. I'm not sure if he's saying EPA. He's saying DHA. So that's number one. Number two, um, uh, um, are you – so just let's – so number two is to clarify if when you, we talk about DHA slash EPA or algae oil, if that's different in its effectiveness as clary sage oil. That's the second question. Number three is Gabriel Cousins <clears throat> is saying clearly, not you know, saying very strongly – that he believes cholesterol for healthy people is 160 to 260, and that if you have below one, and he's promoting veganism, so he's saying if you're below 160, that's too low. It could lead to depression. It could lead to dementia, and he's recommending that you use coconut oil, even though he doesn't use it, as a way to get your cholesterol up. So that's question number three. Number four, um, and you kind of mentioned this already, but Again, we, when, when we're talking about the algae oil, the clary sage oil, and the blue-green algae, the liquid blue-green algae, are these all different things, or are they the same thing and just you're getting it from different sources? Okay. Um, next question is, Does um, if we are very blood sugar sensitive, you know, should we be trying to completely avoid fat? Like, does is fat slowing down, interfering with our ability to to, to you know, digest, um, to, to process sugar, and therefore, if we're blood sugar sensitive, should we trying to avoid fat completely? Next question is, should we be trying, are we in the end of the day trying to eat fat or avoid fat? In other words, if you had a per perfect choice, are you saying always add two tablespoons of olive oil, or are you saying in a perfect world you would never add oil, that this is not something we want to add? So when we're talking about good oils like hemp, flax, olive, are you saying your preference is that we do try to have a small amount, or are you saying if it didn't matter to us, you'd prefer we didn't have it at all? Next question. Um, should we be, on the subject of fats, when it comes to nuts, olives, and avocados, are we saying, you know, are you saying nuts, seeds, olives, and avocados should all four be part of your diet? And are you saying have them in a measured quantity, or are you saying you know, there's really no limit. If you're healthy, you can eat these. And let's also throw into that conversation, aside from the seeds, the nuts, the olives, and the avocados, also coconuts, hearts of palm, and nut butters. Because um, these are the things that we're, 
and also cacao nibs because that's also a fat. So again, you know, when it comes to seeds, nuts, olives, avocados, coconuts, nut butters, hearts of palm, and cacao nibs, these are products we deal with every day. Are you saying, yes, these are really good things to make part of your diet? Are you saying, if you don't mind, keep them away and just stick with the sprouts? Um, And then, um, uh, and I guess that's, I guess that's, those are the questions. If you could run through those, that would be great. Okay. So the first, Joel is correct, that if you don't have enough essential fats, essential fatty acids is the EPA, that break down to DHA. Now the mistake, not that Joel makes, but many people out there make, because the fish oil industry has been so influential on warping knowledge and information in in the world of even natural health care, they've convinced the general practitioner that oils cannot convert over to DHA if they're plant-based, that you have to get them from fish. So the best example of how wrong that is, and I think we mentioned this in the last conversation we had, is there's a company that spent the millions of dollars that was necessary out of Norway, and it's called Z-I-N-Z-I-N-O. They take it out and without processing, without heating it, without cooking it, extract a pure form of DHA. Now, uh, this is something I do not take. I've used it, I've tried it, uh, because if you take algae itself, and I'm a living proof of this, along with thousands of other people I've had do the same, uh, you literally have the ability in your body to convert that over to DHA, the EPA, Uh, essential fatty acids to DHA. But I completely 100% agree with with Joel on this one, that uh, if you're lacking essential fats, your brain's made of essential fat, you can end up with dementia. Uh, The caveat that a lot of these doctors don't seem to understand, it's in combination with a lack of B12, which I've been yelling about for 30 some years. So supplemental B12 is important and Another part of this story that uh, when I wrote a book 20 years ago called Longevity, I pointed out that brain use is equally as big a culprit, lack of brain use, as lacking B12 and essential fats. So that's fact. Now, is Clary Sage, let's explain what that is. So a number of years ago, I got to know an Israeli group that did an exploration into land-based oils and found and then even further cultivated a Mediterranean form of sage that is totally balanced. Early on, I spoke about you want one part omega-6 to three parts omega-3. Well, it pretty much is spot on with this. Not all sage oil is that, but this is. I've written a book along with the discovery of this, and I've gone to Israel and spent time in the very fields where they cultivated and improved on this. So is clary sage oil an excellent source of EPA? You bet it is. Will it convert over to DHA? You bet it can. So that's it. Your body has to do that work, though. In the case 
of the Norwegian oil, it's already broken for you to DHA. My friend and colleague, Dr. Cousins, uh, says that he prefers people to have 160 to 260. I have not found that to be uh, the readings that I see in most long-term vegans. He suggests coconut oil. Why? Because in his particular body, most likely, and I'm speculating on this, he achieves to his healthy lifestyle because he eats exactly like we do uh, and has those readings between 160 and 260 without adding coconut oil. So do I think a little bit of coconut oil for a person uh, who's healthy without a gallbladder and, and liver problem is okay? And preface a little bit? Sure, I think it is. But if you have a gallbladder and liver problem, you don't want to take any saturated fats at high levels like that. Uh, you already have the pipes are clogged. Let's put it in that in that terminology. Uh, the jury is not in on this. What I can say uh, to support Dr. Cousins without saying I 100% subscribe to the numbers he spoke about, so I haven't found that to be true. After reviewing every single year, two to three thousand. Um, not really three to four thousand blood profiles. Um, the, the reality is that people who live a very long time and their memories are perfectly good tend to have higher cholesterols. So when they looked at centurions, that's it. Now my take on this, and this is this is what I call a scientifically validated hypothesis. <laughs> Means nothing, but I really think. It has enough science behind it for me to say this. Um, that what I think is that when you're younger, higher cholesterols can be really problematic for you. After you're 50, 60, 70 years old, and your metabolism slows down, I think your chances of having a heart attack, unless you're completely out of control, have dramatically been reduced. And at that point, because of your metabolic state and your brain need, it most likely the fats that are in your body are utilized in the brain more so than bodily energy. Now, even if you're healthy like I am, you know, bordering on my 70th birthday, not too far off in the future, uh, the fact of the matter is I'm athletic. I do a lot of exercise, but I don't do what I could have done at 20 or 30 or 40. So it's sort of a natural thing that the body utilizes the fats at that point for brain function more than it does energy function. That's also in, in, uh, in terms with what I said about the studies that were done by Dr. Kenneth Cooper, where he showed that as people aged in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, and although they were Olympic athletes and all won gold medals, they were now dying at very young ages, way premature, because, by the way, they didn't have enough essential fats, but unlike the average 60-year-old or 50-year-old, they were still running and exercising like a 20-year-old. So all of that makes sense to me. Fats versus sugar. So your question to me was, should we avoid all fats? And the answer is no, because of what, number one, what Dr. Furman said is correct, and number two, because... Fats are required for any level of energy, both bodily and mind energy. 
too much fat should be avoided. That I agree with. Uh, if you ask me, do fats directly give you cancers? No, but go back to what I said early on about Warburg showing fats reduce oxygen. Oxygen reduction causes cancer. Sugars feed cancer. Now, there's no question about that. There's not one legitimate scientist in the field of science. Too bad doctors don't read the science that won't tell you that sugars feed all diseases, but certainly cancer. So your sixth question to me was, should we eat fat or avoid it? You should eat it, but moderate amounts. Should it be lots of coconut oil? I've never seen that to be good. Now, let me preface that. For instance, the Ironman competition, if you said to me, how much coconut oil should the person who's running 110, 120 miles use? They could probably take a pound a day and be perfectly fine because they're going to burn it off. Remember, the fats give you energy. How about if you start taking you know, a quarter of a pound of coconut oil, throw it into a blender, and make a smoothie with that, and then you sit on your butt all day long? Not a good idea. So we have to look at lifestyle, need, age, functionality, etc. So I would never tell you to avoid eating fat. I would tell you to avoid eating lots of sugar, period, in every single case, but I always would say, you have to be moderate with this. You don't overeat it. I just said a second ago, if you were running 120 miles, you could probably eat a pound a day. So that would be moderate for a person who's running 120 miles. Uh, by the way, that probably took 20-some hours for a person to do. Now we talk about you know, things like flax oil and hemp oil. So if one is going to use oil besides getting it from the diet, now remember, algaes and sprouts inherently, naturally, have the highest amount of omega oils in it. Now, if you like oil, I happen to use oil on my salad sometimes. Not always, but sometimes. What would be the better oils to use? Flax, hemp, chia, if you have a lot of money. It's hard to find, but you can get it. Best oils. Would olive oil be good? Sure. It's a monounsaturate. And there's enough data to show that that's good. But would I rather have you overeat a hemp oil or overeat an olive oil? I'd rather have you overeat a hemp oil. Because an olive oil isn't quite as omega-E, let's use that term, as a hemp oil or a chia oil or a flax oil would be. Now we talk about a whole array of common foods that have large amounts of fat in it. Nuts, seeds, olives, avocados, uh, coconuts, which is a nut, by the way. It's the largest nut of the nut family. Hearts of palms, cacao, etc. Now, each and every one of these are healthy foods when they're consumed correctly. What differentiates a nut from a sprouted nut is wildly different. Remember, when you germinate anything, the proteins become amino acids, pre-digest. Carbohydrates become simple sugars, pre-digest, and the fats become essential fatty acids, pre-digest. So, for instance, you know, healthy nuts are one of the many brands that you can find around the world, around the country, that they sprout their nuts, they sprout their seeds, and then they dehydrate them, and they taste and they season them. 
They taste exactly like a roasted nut, but better. Is that much better for you to take? You bet it is, because it's already broken to a much more usable, user-friendly form of essential fats. We put olives out on the Hippocrates you know, buffet every single day. Why, it's a bridge food. Do I think eating a lot of olives every day is a good thing? No. Now let's go back. I say no for the average person. How about if you're running up a hill 40 miles a day? Well, you could probably eat a lot of olives and get away with that because it's a great source of energy, better than sugar for you. Seeds are even better than nuts, less expensive, better. Why? They're more user-friendly than even a nut. You know, the proximity to digestibility and the size matters. It really matters. Coconut, the problem with coconut, it has such high saturated fat, unlike an almond or a filbert or a pine nut, you know, or macadamia nut, you've got to watch how much coconut you use. Now, at the Institute, of course, we, we give our guests coconuts. Uh, and on even fasting day, they drink the coconut water, which is an amazingly healthy thing. Now, there's a big difference between the coconut water and what's inside when we crack it open. And if you take the spoon meat, that's what it's called in a place here in the tropics, it's tender little soft meat. It's big, big difference from the hard meat when I grew up thinking as a coconut, the kind they grind up and put on, you know, birthday cakes. Not so healthy for you. That's a mature one, harder to digest, almost impossible to digest. Well, I would avoid that. Or if you had it, rarely and occasionally have it. Uh, the same thing goes for, uh, you know, the, the cooked coconuts. Any cooked coconut, uh, even coconut milk that you buy in a bottle, that's all cooked, are bad for you. Uh, they'll contribute to cardiovascular disease. They'll contribute to cancer. And they'll reduce oxygen. But if you said to me, I'm really healthy, I don't have a gallbladder, I don't have a liver problem, I'm relatively active, I eat a healthy diet, uh, you know, if you ate one or two coconuts a week and you were just an average person living an average life, that's perfectly fine as long as it's spoon meat for you. A place like Florida, they're growing. I'm looking out my window, I have coconut trees growing in my backyard here. Now, what about hearts of palm? Well, that comes from a Florida cabbage palm. That's the number one place that they get those. Uh, in their raw state, they're perfectly fine. But when you and I go to the salad bar, and I cheat and use them sometimes too, not often, because they're tasty and fatty and filling and all of those things, you know, they're cooked. So they're a cooked oil, not a great thing for you. But if you happen to live in Florida and, uh, you know, we're with a tree company that knocked down one of these cabbage palms, you don't want to really knock them down on your own. It's not environmentally good. You know, eating it raw, it's delicious, by the way. When we had some downed trees after a hurricane, I've eaten them on several occasions, delicious and pretty healthy. They have the enzymes there. They have the, the support system, the cofactors that are healthy. The cacao, on the other hand, has a stimulant in it. So this is the only one I'm talking to you about that really has a narcotic type of stimulation in it. Does it have healthy fats in it? Sure, it does have a little bit. So there's a... a one chocolate company I let come into the Institute because it really doesn't have chocolate in it. There's a fat from the chocolate in it. 
and it's you know in small amount has little to no sugar in it. I mean, an apple would have more sugar than this. But on the other hand, uh, because it's a fat, it has minor amounts of the stimulating factor. The cacao itself, or that chocolatey tasting thing that you have, is more narcotic effect than caffeine is. A much more. So you may want to read a little bit more, elaborate on that, into on the Hippocrates website. If you look up healing our world. Uh, on two different occasions, we wrote about these substances that you know a lot of people call food. So I think that answers all of the questions, unless there was something I missed out on, Stephen. Uh, no, but let me just um, just throw one final thing out. Just um, Alan Goldhammer and, and Michael Clapper have gotten a lot of views on our of you on our YouTube site. From their videos on water fasting, and I don't know if like people have livers or gallbladders or bodies that are need to be recharged. You've answered this question before, saying you strongly prefer green juice fasting. However, you know Alan Goldhammer saying he's had done twenty thousand of these without a single problem or one problem, but the person was okay. Doesn't that kind of say, look, water fasting under the right conditions actually isn't that dangerous and might have strong benefits and maybe for people who do feel like their liver or gallbladder or their body's just not, you know, functioning that well, is that something that you would consider or recommend? Well, fasting has benefits, period. So there's nobody who would disagree with that. I'm sorry, Brian, so, we don't hear you. Fasting yeah. has benefits. So stopping eating solid food and drinking liquids will always benefit people. Now, let's talk about why I'm concerned. The longest water fast I ever did was 56 days. The center that Anna Maria directed in Europe that was renowned and, and supported by the government water fasted people. I've worked with tens of thousands of people that water fasted. And I've been able to, over my 50 years of work, basically observe the difference between water fasting and juice fasting on proper juices. Now, here's my synopsis of what I've discovered. Number one, personally, going from water fasting to green juice fasting, first and foremost, it's easier to do. Second, I cleaned more out of my body than I ever did on a water fast. Second observation I'll make, seriously ill people, and remember, they don't deal with seriously ill people at these the fasting clinic that you're speaking about. So Dr. Clapper and Goldberg, they, they didn't Goldhammer, they didn't let seriously ill people go into the clinic. They're under medical supervision. So when we say to people, for instance, on The Real Truth About Health, or you hear a lecture from Dr. Goldhammer, and I love and respect these guys. They're really the top of their game. Uh, water fasting's good. Now, Mary Jones, sitting somewhere out in the middle of the country or somewhere in another country, says, gee, water fasting's good. But she's seriously ill. And, you know, you're desperate when you're seriously ill. So she goes on a water fast. When people have cancer, as an example, the cancer emaciates their body. 
it's literally eating up their body. Their nutrition loads are dramatically lower than they should be. And why I converted after directing the original Living Food Center in Denmark in the 1970s uh, to juicing rather than water fasting, I was watching what happened to seriously ill people on water fast. They were literally falling down, they were dizzy, their blood sugars plummeted, and I looked up a statistic that still stands today. That in the West, we have more malnourishment per capita than many third world countries where part of the, the population is starving. Why? Because in those third world countries, pretty much the rest of the public that has food is eating a plant-based diet. In this country and in Europe, and many people listening to us today, Australia, New Zealand, literally we're eating junk food diets. Most health food diets are junk food diets. So do I think water fasting under medical supervision for relatively healthy people can be helpful? You bet I do. And do I think fasting is always helpful? You bet I do. But do I think water fasting is appropriate for everyone? It does something better than green juice fasting? No, I don't. Because I've done it all. I've supervised fasting in Europe and North America. Hundreds of thousands of people we put on fast. Every single group that come through Hippocrates, we fast. I fast two days a week and half for 50 years. No, I do not think water fasting is appropriate for everyone. And I don't think you get a benefit from that. You know, I know that they say that you have to go into a starvation mode before you really start to get deep into the cells. Well, I think if you put high oxygen, high enzyme green juices with a pure, pure water that comes out of green juices, you do it without the pain and suffering, and you get in between the cracks and crevices that water fasting doesn't do. The picture I'd like to give the listeners tonight, water fasting is like sweeping the body. After I sweep, if I want something clean, the green juice fasting gets the hose out and cleans between the cracks and crevices. Okay, great. Thank you, Brian.